Norton Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Big Apple on Broad, a weekly podcast about New York and Philadelphia professional sports, keeping you up to date on everything there is to know about your favorite teams. Now, here are your hosts, Danny Ryan and Connor Brown. Welcome into the inaugural episode of Big Apple on Broad, a podcast hosted by myself, Danny Ryan, and my co-host, Connor Brown, as we bring you everything you need to know about the world of Philadelphia and New York sports today. We have a very special podcast waiting for you and a very special guest waiting for you just across the way via Zoom. Mr. Nick Earnshaw, recent graduate of Rowan University and right here at Rowan Radio, my right-hand man last year. Nick, thank you for joining us here today. Yeah, it's great to be with you guys. Happy to talk some sports. Uh, you know, I feel like I've talked sports for the past like 15 hours now. Uh, it feels like straight, uh, but hey, I'm ready to go. I'm always down to talk sports. Now explain exactly what you mean by that to listeners out there. What do you mean you've been talking sports for 15 so, hours straight? So uh, I did the overnight uh, before this recording on uh, WIP. I was producing up in Philly. Uh, and you know, they're a little tough. I can't lie. You're still getting used to them a couple months in, but man, it's a lot of fun talking sports uh, up there, uh, with those guys. Uh, I talked with Tom Kelly last night. I was producing his show and Bill Matt. We had a lot of fun and, uh, you know, heading into the Thanksgiving break, we had a lot of Eagles to talk about a lot of Sixers to talk about, which I'm sure we're going to get to my favorite man of the hour, Ben Simmons. I can't wait to get to that thing. That's going to be a lot of fun, but, uh, yeah, it, it's a lot, a lot of sports talk, and I'm ready to go, guys. It's going to be fun. Not a lot of sleep, too, right, Nick? You said you're coming off. Oh God, no. Two and a half hours of sleep. Oh God, no. Yeah, about two and a half hours. You pop the five hour energy, and yeah, we're here. Yeah. So, what's your remedy? Is it just five hour energy? What, 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 what do you do to keep yourself up? Uh, you go with the five hour energies. You go with the coffee. It's, it's the normal stuff. It's all you need, and, and you'll be good to go. And then you, you know, sometimes you're off adrenaline when you get going, and when you're working. You don't really feel it. You don't really feel tired. And once you start talking and get get to work, uh, you kind of just go and, and you build off adrenaline. So that, that's kind of how I get through the uh, those overnight shifts. All right. Before we get into the recap of last Sunday's games, uh, I just want to ask you real quick. You know, just what what is it like now being on the outside, being being a Rowan graduate, and already you know you, you have at least a foot in the in the uh, sports industry now. Yeah. No. It's it's a little bit different than college. You don't have to go to class every day now. You kind of have a little bit more free time, but. Uh, you're kind of still all over the place. It, you know, you're still working other types of jobs. You're picking up shifts here. You're picking up shifts there. Um, you know, so I, I think working in sports, I mean, it's what you want to do. It's, you know, you learn a lot of good, great stuff at Rowan Radio. It's very similar. Uh, they give you a great foundation heading into the radio industry. I, I learned a ton there, and I apply it every day uh, up at 94 uh, WIP. So I, I apply everything I learned there, and, you know, you just continue to learn. You continue to learn. Uh, every day, just like you, you did did at Rowan. And, uh, you know, you just keep asking questions. And that's kind of something I, I continue to do, ask questions all the time. If you're not sure of something, yeah, there, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but as the day-to-day, you know, you have a little more free time, I would say, definitely. I think you have a little more free time than in college because you're waking up, going to class, and you have all the internships, you're doing outside stuff, you're at the radio station. Um, so I, I right now I have, I have a little more free time, I think, uh, and you know, it, it's nice to get, get a little more sleep. The sleep schedule is all messed up, but that's okay. That's, that's how it's going to roll. If you do want to enter this industry. All right. So let's take it away with the recap of last Sunday's NFL games, Nick, and we'll get into the sports segment of today's podcast. And so let's just start off with the NFL. And first and foremost, I feel like it would not be appropriate to bring you in with any other game aside from Eagles versus Colts. They defeat the Indianapolis Colts 17 to 16 by one point. Uh, in Nick Sirianni's homecoming to Indianapolis a week after or two weeks after his former mentor Frank Reich was fired as head coach from the squad. Just give me your initial reaction to how the Eagles played in that one coming off of a tough loss against the Commanders, their first of the season, and what you were expecting and what you saw in that game. Well, offensively, they weren't that great. Uh, They did not score a lot of points, only 17 to show for it. Uh, It took them to the fourth quarter to really get it going. But I'll be honest, I was impressed with the defense and the signings of the Damakong Sue and Linval Joseph. You saw them make an immediate impact, not on the first drive necessarily of the game, because that was a little rusty. You could tell there was some rust and getting used to kind of the scheme that Jonathan Gannon runs. But when the, as the game rolled along, you saw the difference when you had two big guys up the middle to kind of clog those running lanes up those gaps. And with, with the loss of Jordan Davis, that – 
that's such a huge loss. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be this much of a factor. You're relying on a rookie uh, nose tackle to get the job done and stop the run every single week. Uh, but now you have some depth there. And, and when Jordan Davis gets back, I'm really excited uh, with what they have on the defensive front. But I thought the defense really did a good job of stopping the Indianapolis Colts on third down. That was key. They didn't do that against the commanders. The, the commanders were keeping drives alive by extending drives, getting first downs, uh, you know, on, on third and twos, third and fours. That, that's how the commanders were able to kind of steal a game on Monday night. And then, you know, in Indianapolis, it was kind of the opposite. The defense came up huge. And because of the Colts, they had a ton of opportunities take that game no no doubt in my mind the Colts should have won that game without a doubt they, they had so many opportunities they had the missed fuel goal they had they, they had an opportunity in the red zone uh you know where Matt Ryan gets sacked uh by Hassan Reddick could have been called for uh, another uh, penalty right there you know on Reddick you know he could have been called for that face mask you know we didn't see the one against Dallas Goddard so you know those things happen uh with the officiating but you know it, it kind of bounced the Eagles way a little bit and you know just credit to Jalen Hurts I mean he just steps up and he's just not afraid. At 24 years old, he's just so composed and mature. You wouldn't, you just wouldn't expect that from a guy like him at his age. And he, he's just shown it this year. Last year, you saw, you saw signs of it. And that's what everyone kind of knew, that he was going to be so much. He's so mature. He's so composed. He had all the intangibles. But could he, could he get better throw, passing the ball, throwing it downfield? And he has. And he's entered that MVP conversation. And, you know, he kind of willed them to victory in that fourth quarter. And you know, sometimes you just got to eke out games like that and wins. And that's what they did. You know, it's against the Jeff Saturdays uh, in Indianapolis. So, all right, you know, it was, it was, it was a one-point win, but you know, it's still a W in the win column. Well, what was your reaction, though, of, of Sirianni, you know, going up afterwards, firing up, you know, the, the Philly fans that made the trip, uh, you know, had some, some choice uh, language about, you know, how the Colts handled firing Frank Reich. Um, I'm just kind of curious how you feel about it because, you know, from an outside perspective, not being a Philly fan at first, I was a little bit like, all right, man, like, l- l- let's calm down. You know, it- it's you-, you beat the Colts. They have Jeff Saturday now as their interim head coach. But then, like, after I saw the video of what he said, I played for his brother in college for a year. And if, if Frank Reich is anything like uh, his brother, like, the, the Reich family, I-, I think, are very good people. So I totally understood where Sirianni was coming from. I'm just kind of curious what your initial reaction was to it. Well, yeah, first of all, that's his guy. He, he coached under him uh, in Indianapolis. I mean, he, you know the connection with the Eagles. He was Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator here. Um, it, you know, it's just how Nick Sirianni coached. He's going to be a little bit different than your, your typical Andy Reid's of the world. He's not going to be like Bill Belichick. He's going to pump these guys up. And you know, I, I don't mind it because the players are so bought into what He's kind of feeding them and, you know, his message. And the players, kind of, they, they enjoy it. They, they're they into it. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with, with Sirianni getting fired up. We saw Howie Roseman a couple weeks ago get fired up talking to the fans when he got criticized uh, to some fans. I believe that was in Houston. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't mind it. I, it's a little it, – sometimes it gets a little corny. I get it because, uh, you know, the whole shtick a little bit. But, I you know, the players are bought into him, and, and that's really what matters. If the players are bought in, and they're winning games, you know, he can do whatever he wants. He can go jump up and yell at some fans and get excited. Uh, and, hey, I mean, that, that's just who Nick Sheridan is, and, he, and he's kind of showed you that uh, throughout this entire season and since he's been hired, really. And uh, he's a very passionate guy. He cares about winning. He lo- You can tell he just loves the game. Um, so sometimes it gets like, okay, Nick, you can relax a little bit. I appreciate yeah. his honesty, you know what I mean? And I, I thought it was pretty funny afterwards, too. He came out and said, yeah, sometimes you get a little emotional. It must be, you know, the Italian. I mean, I, I, I do appreciate kind of his his honesty and just the way that he, he coaches with emotion. And uh, I definitely get where it, it can come off corny, like you were saying before. But everything else, I, I agree with you, too. He, he It seems like, you know, the players have bought in. And, I mean, if, if, if you're a fan of the NFL, too, I, I feel like you have to buy in, too. Yeah, and, and that's that's what the players have done. I mean, they're riding behind him. They they like his message. They like where he's going with things. And, you know, I still think they have to make some adjustments heading into this week. Uh, but, you know, they're 9-1, and one, and you, you can't argue that. You know, he can go up and celebrate all he wants when you're 9-1. and one. So, uh, you know, I didn't mind it. Sometimes it gets a little out of hand, but I, I was okay with it. I like the passion a lot. The only problem I had was if he was going up to the stands to try and chirp at a Colts fan – in which that's the case where, yes, I understand why you're doing it, 
but these are just, you know, a family of three trying to watch an Indianapolis Colts game, getting yelled at from a guy they have no idea who he is. The Eagles fans, it's fine because you're on the same page. You, yeah, you guys are right. excited. But if it was, I, I didn't get to see an exact vantage point, but if he was yelling at Colts fans, that's the one thing where it's like, all right, dude, that's that's corny. Come on now. But I, I love the passion from a guy, especially when you had a, a past head coach and Doug Peterson who was a little bit more well-mannered. He was a little bit more of a vet in there. But now you have this guy who really embodies the city of Philadelphia. I enjoyed it, just like I said, though. If he's talking to those Colts fans, it's a little corny. It's kind of like when Russ Westbrook was yelling at, at, at the moms and, and, and the kids in the bubble, if you if you remember that. Yeah. like They had this yeah. pan where he's talking smack, and then they pan the camera over, and it's just like wives with like their kids. Like, what, like, what, what did we do? Like, like <laughs> virtual fans on the big Jumbotron, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I... You know, and he was—he was—it was a more of an emotional game because he, he's so connected with Frank Reich too. So that it meant a little bit more. And to kind of win how how they did, I, I see why he got so fired up and pumped up. And he was—he was even crying after the game. Like he was that—he was that into it. And you know, I don't—I don't mind it. Dick Vermeil, you know, he—he—he he, uh, he was a very emotional coach for the Philadelphia Eagles too. So. I do want to talk about the stats in the game a little bit as well. I mean, we talked about just the one point seventeen to sixteen victory. Matt Ryan. 23 for 32 with 213 yards. Jonathan Taylor still had a decent day at the office, 22 carries, 84 yards, but only averaged about 3.8 per carry, had that one touchdown in the beginning of the game. Now, I just want to break down what you saw real quick before we move on to the Jets versus Patriots game, which we know that one was a crazy one. Um, But I want to break down what you saw from the passing offense without Dallas Goddard for the first time all season. How did you expect them to play, and did that expectation or was that expectation met uh, good or bad? It was a little bit interesting because it seemed like they had a couple of tight ends uh, on the field at, at times throughout that game. And it seemed like a little bit too much. Like they were running two or three tight end sets. And I, I didn't really like that a lot. I mean, you know, it's a big drop off from Dallas Goddard to Stoll to Tyree Jackson, et cetera. Um, you know, it, you're going to miss him. He's what he's honestly, I think he's a top five tight end, even top three, maybe in the league. That. That's how good Dallas Goddard is because what you get from Dallas Goddard and, and something you didn't really see from Zach Ertz is he can pass block. He can block a little bit. He can run block too. And, and that's an element that Dallas Goddard has brought. So you're missing that part of Dallas Goddard. And he opens things up offensively for you. You know, he, he gives you another weapon to worry about uh, if you're opposing defenses. And, you know, we, we've seen A.J. Brown. He's had a call. He struggled the past couple of weeks. He really has. He had that fumble as well against Indianapolis. And he had that drop by a dime by Jalen Hurts. It was in the Commanders game. That was a big big play in the game that could have, could have swung things. So, yeah, you're missing Dallas Scotter because he opens things up and he kind of takes the attention away a little bit from your other star receivers because you have, you have to worry about all, all these receivers and playmakers that the Eagles have. They have A.J. Brown. They have Devontae Smith. They have the speed with Quez Watkins. And you also have to worry about Dallas Goddard going over the middle and making some plays. So, I, it's a little bit of a drop off because now you can kind of you know hone in on AJ Brown, on Devonte Smith, on the run game of the Eagles, and you know that that kind of takes away uh, a little bit from their offense. So yeah, they're they're going to miss him uh, until he gets back, and you know it's kind of it's it's a little bit of the Jordan Davis effect that you could say on the offensive side. As I mentioned before, let's move on to the Jets versus Patriots. All right, so we got the Jets versus Pats from last Sunday, and we're going to combine this into. Uh, some of the news that broke recently this morning about Zach Wilson being benched. Uh, we originally planned on talking about, you know, how short of a leash does Zach Wilson have? And clearly he's he's got the leash on because he's not starting this Sunday against the Bears. But before we get to that, I mean, we, we just have to revisit this, this Pats-Jets game. I cannot remember, you know, in recent memory, like a more ugly game between two teams. I mean, in the final, you know, 25 seconds, 20 seconds, it, it's still... Three three, and then the Jets, like you know, their their neighbors over there at MetLife Stadium, decide to you know punt in the middle of the field to a dangerous returner in Marcus Jones, and he returned the punt for a touchdown to uh, push the Jets out of first place. They were they were playing for first place last week. That that was a huge game, and they they absolutely choked, and a lot of it was on the shoulders of Zach Wilson. And you know, recently, you know, early this morning, breaking news: Zach Wilson is benched Sunday for the Bears. I'm kind of curious what you think about that decision from Robert Sala to put Wilson on the pine. You know, I think Sala had to. I mean, he, he's been terrible. I've never been a big, a big Zach Wilson fan. I, I never thought he had the talent that was going to translate to the NFL. 
And clearly he doesn't seem like a leader to me based on his answer in the press conference. Uh, you know, he didn't really stick up for his teammates. He didn't really take responsibility in, in that press conference following that game. I mean, that was brutal. What, what was it? In the fourth quarter where they moved the, what, the ball about two inches? And, you know, what was that report that came out? Two total yards in the second half. Yeah. So it was like yeah. two inches per play. Or per, it was like nuts. It was something ridiculous. And, you know, it, in the NFL, like the Jets, they're, they're re- they've really put together a pretty good team. Their defense has played pretty well. I mean, it was 3-3 the entire game. You lose on a crazy punt at the end. I mean, it, you know, we saw that in Philadelphia against your, your Giants uh, there, Connor, before. It, it, it probably brought back a little bit of memories. But, you know, yeah, it was it was a fantastic finish. Could have been called a block in the back. You know, that controversy, too. But they ended up losing the game. And they lost because of Zach Wilson. I mean, 77 yards through air is just not going to get it done in the NFL. You, you cannot be that uh, just pathetic through the air if you're Zach Wilson at the quarterback position for the Jets. Because they're finding ways to win games. I mean, they beat the Bills. I mean, they've they really shocked some people this year. And when you have a quarterback that's not taking responsibility, he's not moving the ball, he's not making good decisions, he's not really throwing the ball that well either, I, you had no choice. They're not going to win games because of Zach Wilson. And, you know, going forward, I mean, hey, you, you might as well go to the backup and, and see what else you got because they, they don't have a quarterback. If they can figure out the quarterback position, I, the Jets, they're, they're going uh, to be on their way. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. They, they, they just need a guy who doesn't lose the game for him, And that's exactly what Zach Wilson did last week. When they beat the Bills, you know, he did just enough to be that game manager. To that, That's the key. Connor, that's the key. He did just enough. I mean, every everything else, I think the Jets are in a great position to go forward, but they don't have a quarterback. Yeah, and I, I think you said something really interesting in the beginning. Like, the first thing you said was you didn't think his talent was going to translate to the NFL. And I think that's a really important point to make because he has that talent. You, you see it when he's in shorts, that, that arm talent is through the roof. Really just one great year at BYU. He's a little bit, you know, of an entitled kid. And that's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? You can't really control, like, where you're born or anything like that. His, his uncle owns one of the major airlines. He, he just comes from, you know, a, a lot of wealth, a lot of entitlement. And I, I'm really curious to see how he responds from this. I don't know if he will, though. Yeah, and it's, you know, you can have a nice pro day and throw with nobody coming at you, no 300-pound defensive lineman coming at you, make some good throws and press some scouts. That's not going to translate to the NFL every single time, and, and it, it certainly hasn't. He ha- he's had injury history uh, injury history as well. So, yeah, I, I'm not – I was never sold on Zach Wilson. I thought it was too high of a draft pick for the Jets, and, you know, the Jets are going to jet uh, when it comes to the quarterback position, and, and they clearly have again. And, you know, and, and it doesn't help with, like, Sala is a defensive-minded coach, so they don't have that kind of offensive mind and, and, and prowess to kind of coach him up offensively. Yeah, yeah, Sala, I, I think he's a good coach, but, I mean, they, they, they would need a miracle worker to get him uh, on the right track in Zach Wilson. One more question before we transition over to the, uh, the Giants-Lions game and then the upcoming matchup between, uh, against the Cowboys tomorrow on Thanksgiving. If Zach Wilson, in that press conference, you know, when, when asked, if you felt you let the defense down and he said no, if you said yes and answer that differently, do you think you'd be starting this Sunday? You know, that's a great question. I, that's a very good point. Like, maybe if he took a little bit of responsibility, the locker room might have bought in. I forget what player it was. I don't know if it was Sauce Gardner or what. They he posted was. a picture of that. It was Sauce? Wait, no, I, so posted- Sauce accid- accidentally liked a picture Okay. Uh, on one of Zach Wilson's like awful throws or, or something like that. That that's what I saw. I, you could be talking about something different. Sorry. It was it was one of the players. I can't remember who it was on the Jets. It was it might have been a wide receiver or somebody. They oh, they posted a picture. Elijah Moore. Yeah, it was Elijah Moore. That's who it was. I couldn't remember who it was. They posted a picture of them playing quarterback. So uh, the locker room kind of kind of lost them a little bit, and it, and it did not it did not help them. Yeah, definitely has not had the support from Elijah Moore since coming back from injury. That's uh, that's one way to put it, I, I guess I could say. Before we do get to that uh, Giants-Lions game and then the Thanksgiving game, what they're calling the Beckham Bowl between the Giants and Cowboys, I do want to get your prediction on who is going to win the highly contested AFC East. You have the Dolphins at 7-3. and They're tied with the Bills at 7-3. and And then the Pats and Jets, they're tied at the bottom of the division at 6-4. and I mean, just one game separating these teams. It could come down to the final week of the season. What a fun division. How about Miami adding Tyreek Hill? They're so explosive watching 
Jalen Waddle do his Waddle dance when he scores touchdowns. I love I love the Dolphins. I think they're a really good team. Uh, I'm not a big Tua fan, but they got a lot of weapons. So, you know, they're making him look pretty good. I, I still think Buffalo is going to win the division. I think Miami gets in as a wild card spot. Uh, you know, that, that New England game was huge because the Jets could have shifted themselves in good position at the top of that division if they did pull out a victory there, and, and they just didn't. But I, I think this is the Bills and Miami. New England could maybe sneak into a wild card spot, possibly. I, but I, that, that's going to be really close. I think Buffalo, though, they will win the division. Miami will get in uh, as a wild card spot. It's just a fun division to watch, especially when the Jets are playing well. That, that's pretty cool to see the Jets. You know, you know, be having competitive games uh, every single week. So, yeah, that's a fun division. Who would have thought it'd be that close? All right, that's enough Philadelphia and NFL talk, not relating to the New York Football Giants. Connor, take it away with the Giants' previous game and arguably one of the biggest games in the past. I would at least say five years for the Giants coming up on Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, the Lions game. You know, you, you look at the the final box score, thirty-one to eighteen. And it was a lot worse, I feel like, that the, the, the final uh, box score indicated. But the Giants, for a majority of the game, w- were not in it. I mean, they were getting dominated up front. Couldn't get the running game going. I mean, Saquon just had his worst game uh, of the season. I, I thought he was running a little scared last week, to be honest. Uh, Daniel Jones had, had two interceptions. You know, the big thing coming in was he wasn't turning over the ball. And honestly, if you go back and watch those two interceptions... I don't really place too much blame on them. I didn't think they were too terrible. I mean, w- when you usually throw an interception to a D lineman, people interpret it as, as a really bad interception, but he, he went back for play action, had his you know eyes completely to the running back, and then had to switch back. And it, it, it's kind of hard to adjust where, where Aiden Hutchinson was at the time. And the other one was a, a fourth down play where he just kind of threw it up trying to you know make something happen. But this is an example of how the Giants can't play. They, they cannot turn over the ball because they are not talented enough to turn over the ball and, and win games. In, in both their last two games that they've lost to the Seahawks and now the Lions, the problem was that they turned over the ball. And they're a team that, like I just said, are not talented enough to turn over the ball and win. Um, Nick, I'm just curious if you had any thoughts on the Giants-Lions game before we dive into the Thanksgiving Bowl. Tell me what you think the current state of the Giants are right now and should Giants fans be worried, you know, down the stretch? They have a lot of tough opponents. And now all of a sudden, you know, earlier on in the season, you were thinking the Commanders are going to be two easy wins. They're playing really well right now. Just just give me your state of what you think Giants fans uh, are right now. You know, the, the Giants, they, they shocked me a little bit. I, I'm not so sold on I'm not totally sold on them yet. I still think they're a little bit fraudulent. I don't know if they're that good just yet. And... Uh, you know, I, I, they, I think the best part about the Giants is they finally have a head coach. I think that's what the Giants have to look forward to. Brian Dable has been fantastic, leading the Giants to a 7-3 record. I, I did not see that coming. I thought the Giants were going to be in the basement in the NFC. Mm-hmm. They played well. I, I, you can't lie. They, defensively, they played well. They strung together some wins early on in the season uh, that were really close uh, at the end of games. But, you know, I wish I laid down a bet on that game. Cause I had to, I had this weird feeling that the Lions I did were definitely going to take over in that game and, and win it. I had a weird feeling that the Lions were going to come in a little bit hot and, and, and beat the Giants, and I should have put money on it, and I didn't. Uh, I'm still kind of mad about that. Let's be honest with each other as well. I mean, the Lions aren't a bad team. They're not. They're 4-6. and six. Shockingly enough, if it weren't for the Vikings being 8-2, and two, they'd be at the top of the North, or at least competing for the NFC North. And they almost beat the Eagles in Week 1. The Eagles only won by 3 points. Like, they're not a bad team. you think they'd be much worse, led by Jared Goff. Yeah, they're more talented than you think. Uh, those fighting Dan Campbells up there in Detroit. I, you know, they have a good running game with Williams. Uh, DeAndre Swift's been a little bit hurt this year. I think if you have them in fantasy, he hasn't been as productive, but... Yeah, I mean, the Lions, they, they're not an awful team. They have four wins on this season. They've improved from last year. Uh, you know, I, I like their defense. You know, they have Hutchinson. Uh, you know, Goff is, is Goff. He's going to be average, and that's kind of what they are. They're an average team. They'll, they'll string together some victories this year. Um, they're not there yet. They still have a long ways to go. But, yeah, I like their running game. I think they have some talent on the defensive side of things with their young guys, and you know, I I I, I had a feeling they, they were going to get hot against those Giants uh, and, and come away with the victory. I, I mean, they had they had a big win against the Bears, a division opponent. They beat the Packers. 
I mean, they, they're, they've been playing well. So you got to give credit to the Lions. Uh, they're playing pretty good football right now. I saw a graphic on Colin Coward's The Herd Show yesterday, and he was doing some coaches in the NFL that are either on the hot seat, if they're it's an inferno you know, type of hot seat, or if it's just a little bit warm. And he had Dan Campbell on there. Not not really like a crazy hot seat, but just kind of, hey, we were looking at you, but you kind of got your record two of four and six. To be honest with you, even if they sat at one and six, whatever the record was, if it was terrible, you know that he's doing a half-decent job, at least in that locker room with how much passion he brings. It's just not enough talent in that locker room as of yet. I don't think Dan Campbell no. really has done a bad job with that team. No, I, I don't think he's been awful. I, they don't have enough. Jerry Goff's not that great of a quarterback. He's a bit of a bust in my book. Um, they, they don't have the weapons on the outside. They don't have these great receivers. St. Brown's good, but like they, they don't have really anything else other than him. The, DeAndre Swift's been kind of hurt. Williams has given you a little bit uh, in the run game. So, yeah, I, they just don't have enough yet. I, and they're still building. Uh, hopefully, I want to see the Lions do good. I mean, Detroit fans have been waiting for a long time. Uh, for them to play well and have some talent. And you know, they're four and six right now. They, they've strung together a couple of victories against some pretty good teams. And so you got to give Dan Campbell a little bit of credit. It's all about the Beckham Bowl now for New York Giants fans. And as Connor mentioned, they do not have enough talent on that roster offensively to afford having turnovers throughout. How crucial is this upcoming Thanksgiving game at 430 against the Cowboys going to be for the Giants if they want to have a nice playoff run this year? Well, I mean, Danny, you have to look at their schedule moving forward. I'm after the Cowboys game, they have the Commanders, who, like I said before, earlier in the season, you thought they'd be an easy one or two. At, that's not the case anymore. They're, they're really playing well on defense. Tyler Heineke's just doing enough to get them those wins. And then after the Commanders, playing the Eagles. I mean, the Eagles are still going to be playing for something at, at, at that time of the season. So that's obviously going to be a, another hard game. Then you have the Commanders again, then the Vikings, then the Colts, and then you finish off the season with the Eagles – um, the last game of the season against the Eagles doesn't worry me because I, I don't think Philly is going to play their uh, their starters in the last game of the season like uh, you know they have in the past. But um, I, I, right now, I, I think you're looking at two more games that you're going to be favored in down the stretch, and that's going to be the Colts and Eagles in the last week of the season unless Philly has some type of, of collapse. You're going to have to pull something out of your hat here if you're the New York Giants down the stretch if, if you want to potentially play in the playoffs this year, Nick, after heading into the bye as a 6-2 and two team, you know, surprising the whole NFL, really well-coached team with, with not the most talented roster in the world, would it be a disappointment after such a great start for the Giants not to make the playoffs? I think it, it would a little bit. I, I, you know, you start off really strong, and you know, you're still trying to figure out, is Daniel Jones your, your starting quarterback going forward? You kind of want to see him have a good finish to the season and yeah I think it would be a little bit a little bit of a disappointment because you do have that extra wild card spot uh to work with as well like the Eagles most likely it looks like they're probably going to win the division Cowboys will probably get that second wild or that first wild card spot and then you have two more wild card spots to play with and you know if if the Giants aren't able to to get one of those I, I think it would be a disappointment with the way you know you come into the season you start off hot uh in the first 10 games of the year uh, and Daniel Jones, you know, is he going to be the guy? Is he going to be able to lead you through these couple of games heading down the stretch towards the end of the season and make that playoff push? I mean, there's a lot of decisions still in New York. You found your head coach. You still got to know if you found that quarterback and you want to give Daniel Jones a lot of money going forward. I think that's part of it as well. And, you know, the, right now the line is nine and a half in favor of Dallas heading into the Thanksgiving game. They're, you know, Vegas does not think that uh, the Giants are going to win this game. They're, they're not giving them anything in Dallas, especially with the way the Cowboys played against Minnesota and just beating down on them. I, I've seen power rankings having Dallas as the second-best team in football, which I think is an atrocity in itself. I, I don't think they're there yet. But, I mean, it, this is a big game for the Giants. They, they, if they can go in there and, and steal one in Dallas, I think it sets them up for in good shape he, heading down and, and making a playoff push. And I, I think that line is just going to get – even wider from, from Vegas, because earlier today, the Giants announced that four of their offensive linemen, two starters, including Evan Neal, who's Oof. been out for a couple weeks, oh. there was potentially he was going to play, but you're going to be out with Shane Lemieux, who just came back last week. I mean, he was he was terrible, so I'm not really too worried about that. Uh, John Feliciano, who's really been your starting center all year, 
I, I am, I am kind of excited though, that Nick Gates is going to be able to slide back into that starting center role after coming back from that gruesome leg injury last year against Washington. And I, you know, he, he's a giant fan favorite. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing him play again, but it, it's going to be an uphill battle, man. Cause I mean, that Dallas defensive front led by Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence, it, it, it's just going to be an absolute uphill battle. So I, my confidence level is not great heading into Dallas, but I will say this, I'm still holding out hope that Brian Dable will coach his guys up, Wink Martingdale, second go around against Dallas. Hopefully he has some some schemes, you know, ready to go. It, it's a bad situation for the Giants to be in after starting off so well. Yeah, I mean, when you have to go against that front led by Parsons, it, it's going to be tough when you have injuries on the offensive line. And, and, you know, it's not been a strong suit of the Giants over the past couple of seasons. And, you know, go, go up against probably one of the, the – no, the best pass rusher in football in Parsons. Uh, it's going to be an uphill climb. If the Giants can find a way to upset Dallas, it'd be nice to get help out the Philadelphia Eagles a little bit. It'd be great. And, you know, I, I just have to say, the, the Cowboys are just so pathetic. Did you see the tweet that they put out uh, about Odell Beckham Jr.? Oh, uh, kind of trying to get him to come to Dallas like – like, it's so sad. There's such a joke of a franchise to put out a whole story on why they should sign Odell Beckham Jr. I just think it was such a weak wait, wait, wait. and sad move. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. They, they put out a story? On why Dak Prescott wants like, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. to come to uh, Dallas. Yes. An article written by somebody. An article for the Dallas Cowboys. Wow. Yes, on Dallas Cowboys. I saw the tweet That's that they the sent out to, like tagging OBJ yesterday saying, it's your move, which is also, yeah. I don't know how that's not tampering, but. The story, it was a story attached to it. So it, it's unbelievable how sad of a franchise, you know, a team that can't get past the divisional round in 25 years. It, it's just utterly ridiculous. I, I hope he goes back to the Giants. I, I mean, I don't want him to go either one, to be honest. I'd rather him go somewhere else. Yeah. But I I would rather him go to the back to the Giants than go to that sorry franchise in Dallas. It's just sad how they have to put out a tweet like that. It's ridiculous. Connor, I do want to kind of pick your brain as a Giants fan who is expecting a result to happen after this quote-unquote Beckham Bowl on Thanksgiving at 4 o'clock. It's been reported that Odell wants a multi-year deal. He kind of wants to wrap up his NFL career with the next team he signs with. Now, obviously, his, his mind could change. His decision could be completely different by the time he signs, but that's the assumption as of right now. And with how successful he's been throughout his career, you can imagine he's probably looking for a decent sum of money, nothing crazy. As a Giants fan, are you looking to give Odell three, maybe four years of decent money, knowing he's come off two ACL tears on the same knee? It's a really, really hard question to answer because I'm just going to say yes. Because, why? I mean, why not? You, you look around at the Giants receivers right now. What's a better option than OBJ? Even though he's a 30-year-old wide receiver with coming off back-to-back torn ACLs, he's better than all most of the options we're throwing out on Sunday right now. I, I, I mean, you, you got to do something if you're the Giants. And it, it does you know worry me a little bit when you're talking about multi, multi-year deals with a guy with injury history and such. But... It, it would just be such a great homecoming for Odell because the Giant fans really love him. I, I know Giant fans who are like my age growing up, he is the best Giant that we have ever seen play. I mean, Eli Manning was great. We were a little young for Michael Strahan to see him play out through his whole entire career. I've seen very few wide receivers in my lifetime actually like win games for their teams. He put the team on his back while he was here. So I know that if he comes back, he's going to get that love. And I I hope the Giants organization up top reciprocates it this time. And honestly, I I want to go back to the Cowboys and all this like press stuff that they're putting out, commenting stuff on Twitter. It it, it is sad. It it is sad that you you, you are, you know, stooping to this level of of practically begging the man to come to Dallas. And that's why I think he's not going to end up in Dallas. You know, I had a teammate once who had this great saying, what's understood doesn't need to be explained. Have you seen like any giant player come out, tag Odell on Twitter, come out in press conferences? You know, I I think Saquon went down to visit him during the buy and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, but there was no social media presence around it or anything like that. 
So I, I really think Dallas just is acting desperate right now. And I don't see him going to Dallas. I, I see him either returning back to New York. It is a bit unlikely, though, because of the current cap situation with the Giants. So it would have to be a backloaded deal, which also puts you in another situation if you're the Giants. I, I really think he's going to end up either in, in Buffalo or he might end up back on the West Coast with, say, you know, the San Francisco 49ers. When it comes to Dallas, it just it, it, it would it'd be a punch in the gut a little bit to the Giants fans if he did go to Dallas. I mean, that, that would probably hurt a little bit. I don't know where he's going to go. He's kind of been on this tour, going around from team to team, visiting all these games. I don't know. I, Dallas clearly wants him. Uh, they, their whole their social media team put put out an entire article and tweet about it. Whatever. Uh, you know, I I don't have a problem with players kind of you know trying to get guys to come to their team. That that's not really uh, what I'm too concerned about. But like when you have a team and an official. Uh, team account put out something like that. I think that's a little overboard and crazy. Um, so uh, yeah, it, this OBJ situation. I'm very curious to see where he ends up signing. Just based on like he, he's just gone all over the the entire map of the NFL, just visiting games, visiting teams. So hey, I'm, I'm very curious to see where he ends up. So I, I think that's enough NFL talk because yeah. uh, something happened last night in Philly that was a bit interesting. Ben Simmons returned and. Your Philadelphia 76ers, without your star power, you know, James Harden out, Joel Embiid, uh, Maxi, you pull out the dub. And it, it, it was a pretty convincing win towards the end of that one. Um, just take me through both of you how it felt having Ben Simmons back in the city of brotherly love. I'll start off and I'll throw it to you, Nick, because um, I know you're going to have a probably at least a five to ten minute rant about last night's game. But um <laughs> No, it was definitely a much-anticipated game, and I think I can speak for all Philadelphia 76ers fans when, you know, leading up to this game, Maxi goes down with a foot injury, Embiid goes down with a foot injury. A few weeks ago, Harden goes down, is out for a month at least. And so you kind of saw the writing on the wall that when Simmons did come to town, especially after Embiid was announced out for the two games, that, well, it was probably not going to be as intense of a game, and, well, we were all wrong. Every one of us. I know I saw Kayla Santiago, former Rowan radio member, saying, oh, when you buy $200 tickets to the game two months in advance, and now three of the best players aren't playing. I understood the frustration, but how about those 76ers? I mean, Paul Reed goes out there with 19 points, had 10 points all season, erupts for 19 and 10 rebounds, a double-double on his first technically starting gig. He didn't start, but he came in for a lot of the Montrez Harrell minutes after they disbanded him. And early on, I, I'm sure you can agree with me, this game felt like it was going to be a runaway from for the Nets immediately. They went up on a 10-2 lead to start the game in the first quarter. Ben Simmons was doing his thing, having his fun with the crowd, shushing, all that corny stuff. And, uh, well, he loses by double digits. He only had, I believe, 11-11-7, a typical Ben Simmons stat line after coming off a few good games. What was your initial reaction to his return, to his overall how he treated the media, how he treated the fans? Because it wasn't what you expected. Like, the boos weren't as loud. The media was very receptive. And one guy we'll talk about, Howard Eskin, actually took a selfie with Ben Simmons yesterday. But overall, what was your reaction to him returning to Wells Fargo Center and how good or how bad the reception was from the fans? You know, um, I it wasn't as strong a boo as you would have thought. And I think there's good reason for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was his second appearance back in Philadelphia since he'd been traded. I think last year if he came back and he played, it would have been more vitriol. It was pretty vitriol, even though he was he was not playing. Uh, I think that played a factor into why the boos weren't as loud. I also think the, the fact that people kind of thought, all right, no MB, no Harden, no Maxi, they're probably not going to win this game. And, you know, the drama of Embiid versus Simmons kind of, that's what everyone's kind of looking for, that story, that villain arc with Ben Simmons. And it just kind of wasn't there. It was missing that element to it last night. So I think that's why he didn't get as much of a, a louder boo or, or more vitriol reaction from the fans. I think that's part of it. Uh, but, you know, he still got booed. Uh, you know, he still bricked to uh, free throws. I was kind of ready for my uh, Chick-fil-A run today as, you know, I, I kind of had that planned out already, uh, you know, after this Zoom call because you knew he was going to miss two in a row. It was just kind of obvious. He can't shoot free throws still. Um, you know, he... He's had a slow start to the season. The past couple of games, he has picked it up. He had some moments last night, but it was your typical regular season Ben Simmons performance. He played well in the first half, third quarter, okay. Zero points in the fourth quarter. Zero assists in the fourth quarter. Zero rebounds in the fourth quarter. He faded away like he always does. It's just your typical regular season Ben Simmons performance. 
you know, and the fact the Sixers fought like they did. Um, and how about George Niang? I, you know, going oh, up, chirping with Kevin Durant. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. He's going up, chirping against Kevin Durant. Uh, getting into it with Ben Simmons. Uh, it was a flagrant foul, I guess. Uh, I thought it was a flop by Simmons anyway. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought overall, what, what a victory. And, and, you know, Tobias Harris, you have to give him credit too. Played really well on the offensive end, especially going out with an injury uh, towards the middle of the game. Uh, yeah, I, listen, I, I didn't think it was going to be as bad as kind of how I expected it to be, especially with all the players being out, the reaction to Simmons. Um, but, you know, he played decent in, in the first half for the most part and then kind of finished how he always does, phase away uh, on, on the uh, on the block down low and in the dunker spot. And, you know, he didn't really see in the rest of the game. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, Ben, you know, Ben's going to be Ben Simmons. He's not really going to improve. I mean, I don't know what Nets fans were thinking. When they got him thinking he would improve so much. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, he, he looked okay last night. He looked fine. He didn't really make a tremendous impact, I would say, on the game as, as the Sixers came away with a victory with a bunch of Delaware Bluecoats uh, playing in, in, the, uh, <laughs> in the starting lineup. We don't, we don't really talk about the Bluecoats on this, uh, this podcast. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, much, I'm, right? I'm joking, though. Um, so tell me what your kind of reaction was. I, I don't like to like frame it as just Howard Eskin taking a selfie with, with Ben Simmons. It's more about the context of the stuff that Howard would say about Ben while he was here. How, like, What do you think about Howard Eskin being buddy-buddy with Ben Simmons after everything that he, he said about him while he was here in Philly? Does it bug you he didn't stick to his words? I, a lot of people were shocked. Um, there's a reasoning behind it, so why he took this selfie and why he's kind of befriended Ben a little bit. Uh, Howard's dog passed away, and apparently Ben Simmons reached, ben Simmons reached out to Howard, and you know that was kind of where Howard you know, became friends with him, I guess. So, you know, it, it, it kind of threw me off seeing it on Ben Simmons' uh, Instagram story. I, I think it threw a lot of people uh, at the station off a little bit, too. I, I could speak to that a little bit, but yeah, I mean, you know, he was a very harsh critic of Ben Simmons for a very long time. And, and to see him go out there uh, and have a, a selfie, and it was a funny selfie. It was, I, I thought it was a hilarious picture. Um, it it kind of threw you off for a second. Like, wow, we've we really uh, come full circle here, haven't we, with, with Howard and, and Ben's relationship. So, yeah, it was it was an interesting, uh, interesting uh, little uh, picture and nugget that got sent out there to the social media uh, platforms yesterday. I, I thought it was hilarious. And, you know, Spike um, Eskin, he's off at WFAN. He's also been a critic of, of Ben Simmons, too. So it, it was just kind of funny to see how see how things kind of turn out as time goes along. I, it was kind of surprising to me the, the maturity from Ben Simmons to kind of, you know, accept, you know, whatever type of apology, especially after – you know, how brutal, you know, fans can be in general. This isn't even just a, a Philly um, point that I'm trying to make. All, all fans can be brutal, especially on, you know, Twitter, Instagram. You're hiding behind a screen so you can say whatever you want. And, you know, Ben Simmons still has a long way to go as an NBA player, I'd, I'd say, reaching his quote-unquote potential. I don't know if he'll ever really, you know, get there. I, I think we've kind of seen what, what Ben Simmons is on the court. It is kind of nice, though, to see him, you know, mature – as, as a person off the court and kind of be able to reconcile people who have said bad things about him. Yeah. I, you know, it was a little bit of maturity. I, I thought he did handle himself well yesterday, but some of it was arrogant. Some of his yeah. answers were just so arrogant. Um, you know, and he got asked a question about Joel and bead. It kind of gave a snarky answer to it. I, you know, some of the, some of the stuff he did was a little bit arrogant in my, in my opinion, but, you know, for the most part, I thought he did handle himself well. He, you know, he got some pictures with the fans. I saw that, but you know, I, you want you know you want this to kind of stay in the sports lane. You know, I, I still think he gave up on the Sixers. Um, I you know I, I think he quit on the team, um, but you don't want it to go overboard at times because it, it sometimes does, and you see that on social media. But um, you kind of want it to be that kind of sports hatred and sports rivalry uh, with Simmons when he comes back to Philly and. You want to kind of see that element when Embiid's on the floor and he's on the floor as well. Because you've seen him kind of down low, playing a little bit of center for the Nets a little bit too. So that's going to be another interesting arc when I believe they come back to Philadelphia January 25th and maybe the Sixers will be fully out. Yeah, I definitely, 
I was very surprised by the effort from the Nets last night. You know, you can take a look at the guys like Kyrie Irving. You take a look at the guys like Kevin Durant. And Kyrie, while he led with 23 points, it might have been the quietest 23 points you had ever seen. Kevin Durant had four more points than the backup power forward in George Niang. And obviously, it looked like George was playing for a little bit more than Kevin Durant was. And I believe it was either Charles Barkley or Shaquille O'Neal on the TNC postgame show basically saying, you would think that these teammates of Ben, these guys would want to go out there and win it for him in his return to Philly. You know, Kevin Durant can erupt for 30-35 on a bad night. Kyrie Irving can erupt for 5 assists, 25 points, along with like 70% from the three-point line on a bad night. So it was kind of shocking to see these guys not perform the way they should have, considering they are these superstars, uh, you know, all pro athletes in their sport. I really just, I think it comes down to the defense, though, because Kenny the Jet Smith talked about it on the postgame show. They're too small. I mean, you're running weird lineups out there with basically Ben Simmons or Kevin Durant at the five. Claxton isn't big enough to really man that five. Do you think they need to make a trade for a center similar to the one they got in Andre Drummond? They, Danny, they're a mess. The Nets are such a mess. They fired their coach, Steve Nash, already into the season. They're two games under 500. Uh, Kevin Durant just doesn't look like he wants to be there. I think it's just more than than finding a big. I think I think it's way more than that. You have the problems with Kyrie. We know all the off the court stuff he's brought to the Nets. Um, he, he's still a part time player for that Brooklyn team. They just have there's so many things going on in Brooklyn with with, with the problem upstairs and Kevin Durant asking for the trade in the off season. I I think it's still lingering to an extent uh, with, with this team and. You know, they did not look like they really wanted to be there. They played uninspired basketball throughout the entire night, other than Ben Simmons. He looked uh, until the fourth quarter. The first three quarters, Ben Simmons uh, looked inspired. But, uh, you know, I they just, I, I don't know what to make of the Nets. They, they're so dysfunctional, uh, starting at the top. Kevin Durant, I don't know how much longer he's going to want to be there. You know, he's got to know it's a, it was a mistake to join forces with Kyrie Irving at this point, because obviously it really was. I mean, he... You had the whole stuff last year with the vaccine. This year, uh, with, with the comments he made on social media and the post, it they're just a total dysfunctional group right now. And I don't think that's going to be the quick fix. I think there's more things layered on, on top of that, uh, and, and it just goes deeper um, to that locker room. You know, firing your head coach and, and with the way they're kind of set up, I, I just I, I don't believe in the Nets whatsoever, and they're off to a very slow start right now. Yeah, so real quickly, I, I, I do think you said before what's wrong with the, the Nets when you called Kyrie a part-time player. The guy, these guys have just not played enough together. You know, Ben Simmons is still yeah. working in. Kyrie, you've listed out his issues. KD will have some injuries here and there. They're still trying to get Joe Harris back. And then you look at the, the Sixers, and you look at them without their superstars. These are guys that have been here for years, and they, they've bought into the system. you got Milton, Melton, Niang. Reed, like the, these guys have just been in that system. Tobias Harris have been in that system for a couple of years now, and they've played with each other, so so they know how to play with each other. So even when the stars are out, you still have a competitive team that that can beat teams like the Nets that are that are dysfunctional, like you said. But I, I think that's enough NBA talk, as we only have you for a few more uh, minutes. Uh, we wanted to get over to the MLB and some of the you know rumors coming out about some potential free agents. And we saw a certain six seven outfielder, you know, free agent right now. I, I'm not, I was about to call him a current uh, former Yankee, I should say, but he is a free agent. Aaron Judge was seen out in San Francisco, quote unquote, I guess, just visiting family for the holidays. Yeah, along with a wink thrown in there as well. Yeah, which you know never means anything, right? Oh, I mean, of course, it not. means he's totally serious. But I just kind of want your thoughts on, you know, what. What would it take for the Giants, the San Francisco Giants, to get Aaron Judge to the Bay Area? Uh, they're gonna have to outbid the Yankees, I guess. I I still think he's going back to New York. I you know I get he's flirting out there in San Francisco. Uh, Jock Peterson, I think, put something on his Instagram story recently uh, about Aaron Judge coming to San Francisco. I I don't know. I it's this is this has been a, a thing that you know the Yankees they, they, if they lose him. This, this will be the biggest mismanagement in, in maybe Yankees history other than Babe Ruth. I, you cannot lose a guy that, or excuse me, that, with the Red Sox. Yeah. That, I'll that. You can tell I, I know what that. you meant. Um, <laughs> two and a half hours, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, back to Aaron Judge. Like, this would be such a mismanagement by Brian Cashman if they're unable 
to bring him back in to New York uh, this year because he, he bet on himself. He goes out there, sets the AL home run record, and, you know, he, he's the MVP. If, if the Yankees were to lose him, I, I think the Yankees are going to be in a lot of trouble. I think Brian Cashman's job could be on the line in the next couple of seasons. And, you know, if he does go out to San Francisco, I mean, they, they made the playoffs and won over 100 games just a year ago. So they, they have talent over there. Um, they play in the same division as the Dodgers. So, yeah, obviously it's going to be a tough division to get out of, as well as the Padres. So um, if the Giants are, are, are going to be able to spend the money and go get him, uh, they're going to be a dangerous team next year. I, I still think he finds a way, and the Yankees do get it done, because, man, if he leaves the Bronx, I, that that will be a massive. I, you can't even describe how big of a loss it would be for the Yankees. I, they, they would be in a lot of trouble, and they have had not had a lot of postseason success uh, with those Astros being in their way the past few years. Let's talk about a cross-state rival in the Los Angeles Dodgers as well when we talk about Aaron Judge. Obviously, the San Francisco Giants, it came out before the offseason even began that they will not be, quote-unquote, outbid uh, for the services of Aaron Judge. I kind of agree with you in the sense that the Yankees, they retain Rizzo, they bring back Kiner Falefa. I think they're trying to run it back in a sense, and I don't see how you can do that without the MVP, the guy who just broke the AL home run record. And so when it's all said and done, I think that probably has the greatest percentage of, um, or that team in the Yankees has the greatest percentage of getting Aaron Judge. What do you think about possibly the Los Angeles Dodgers? It seems like it's just been the Yankees, Giants, and Dodgers that have really been in the mix uh, for Aaron Judge, and they recently just cleared $100 million in cap space. Oh, man. It would be, it was like, what? The rich get richer out west now? Is that, is that what it's yep. going to be if they get Aaron Judge? That would be ridiculous. I, I'm so sick of the Dodgers signing every top free agent that they can get their hands on. They're, they're literally the Yankees of the West. It, I, that would be just awful for baseball if he goes out west to the Dodgers. He should stay in New York. I, I think baseball is better with Aaron Judge in New York. You know, He went through the farm system there. He kind of grew up as a Yankee now. And yeah. I, uh, you know, you, you I, it would, it would, it would, it would be hard for me to get on board with him going to the Dodgers. I think I'd hate that more than him staying in New York. I, mean, I, you know, I, I, you know, hey, if the Phillies were to make an offer, it'd be great. You know, that'll never happen. It's a pipe dream of mine. But yeah, for him to go out to the Dodgers, I think it would be ridiculous. They, they have so much talent. They stole Mookie Betts from the Red Sox. They stole Freddie Freeman from the Atlanta Braves. They, they don't need enough. They don't need Aaron Judge. Can you imagine? They, they just, they just failed last year and founded a way an opportunity in the playoffs last season they you know they, they, have, they have more than enough talent to win win a, win a world series uh, you know they had their fraudulent 2020 world series a couple of years ago so the, the dodgers have plenty of money they, they spent a ton on they have every top player they could ask for they don't need Aaron judge and you mentioned the phillies possibly getting a shot at Aaron judge while well, that's very very unrealistic my pipe dream my yeah, pipe dream. Exactly. Very, very, I think it's very, all very, Phillies very. fans' pipe dream to have that much cap space. But I do want to bring up the Philadelphia Phillies and a man they just extended through 2027. President of Baseball Operations, Dave Dombrowski, after one heck of an offseason to not only retool this team, but eventually lead them to the World Series as they lose to the Astros or lost to the Astros in six games. What are you expecting from the Phillies as far as an offseason perspective goes this year? And how do you feel about the re-signing of Dave Dave Dombrowski through 2027? Oh, I love it. Uh, Dave Dombrowski's been one of the best executives in baseball um, for the past 15, 20 years uh, at this point. He's bounced around. He's won multiple championships, been to the World Series with multiple franchises. He's one of the only executives to do that. And, you know, he, he knows how to build a team from within. He's not afraid to spend money. He has the green light. Uh, to go over the luxury tax if he needs to. And, you know, I, I don't think he's afraid to make bold moves. And, and you need a guy like that, especially with where the Phillies are at. They need a piece or two. They need more starting pitching, in my in my opinion. Uh, you can't go into a World Series with your third or fourth game being a bullpen game. It just can't happen again. You're not going to win that like that. Even though the Phillies did, did find ways to win some of those games, it was nice. But it'd be nice to have a third kind of starter, third or fourth starter to go along with Wheeler, Nola, and Ranger Suarez. So, I, yeah, I, I love the signing uh, and, and bringing back Rob Thompson. Huge. I mean, Rob Thompson uh, is like probably the MVP of the Phillies this year. They, they don't get to the World Series without them making the move and, and kind of him instituting what he wants to bring to the table. So, 
I love the move of Brandon Dabrowski, and I think he's going to be. I think he's going to do a really good job. He already has uh, kind of clean up the mess from Matt Klintak, and you know, I, I think they're going to go out and find one of those shortstops. I think it's going to be Bogarts or Turner. It's going to be one of the two. I I feel like it's going to be Bogarts, just in the sense you have the connection with uh, Dabrowski in Boston. I I I really, you know, it, it'd be great to get Trey Turner because he fits everything you need: a leadoff hitter, guy can get on base, hit three hundred. I mean, he'd, he'd be great, great defensive shortstop. But I, I don't. It seems like everything on all the rumors are trending towards Bogart being a Philly. Um, and I think they still need another starting pitcher. An article came out this past week that Rob Thompson yeah. planned to make this his final season if he obviously didn't get this promotion. Not that he was expecting it, but he was having Joe Girardi give him lineup cards and certain sentimentals from spring training and to start the season. And then all of a sudden. Joe Girardi does not start the season off the way the organization wanted them to. They fire him and promote Rob Thompson. The rest is history. He's not retiring anytime soon. What was your initial reaction to that? You know, isn't it it funny how things work out sometimes? Like, this guy who's been a baseball lifer, a baseball lifer, getting up at 2 a.m., getting to the ballpark that early, getting his things in order for the day, for the workout, for practice, for, for the ball game that day, like, and for him to finally get an opportunity to be a manager, and, you know, the way things sh- shook out with, with them starting off not so high, Girardi getting fired, he gets a shot on a year he was probably going to retire and stop, stop in baseball, just, you know, stop managing, stop being a coach in baseball, really kind of moving on to, to bigger and better things. It, it's so funny how things work out because so so much happened this season that probably would be derail any other season. Like, yeah, you fire your manager early on. You only have 21 wins. You're under 500. Thompson's able to lead them back over 500 into the playoffs. And we have to remember, this team also lost the MVP for an extended period of time as well. He was injured. So the fact he's able to corral this team and get them to buy into his messaging and lead them to a, an NL pennant, I mean, it's just remarkable with what he's done. Uh, for the Phillies. And yeah, I, I get, you know, people want to complain about the decision game six. I still complain about it. I, I don't think it was the right decision in game six of the World Series to pull Wheeler, but that was just really only mistake I, I feel that he made throughout the entire postseason. Like the fact he willed this team, this team, to get them to the World Series, he was not supposed to be in the World Series, let alone get to game six of the World Series to play against the Astros. Like it, it's unbelievable the job he did to, to turn this thing around. Um, have the players buy in, especially with all, all the guys like Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper. These, these are big money guys. He got them to buy in. And, you know, Rob Thompson, I no doubt, I think everyone kind of knows he should have been the manager of the year, no doubt, if it was you're looking at the entire season. Um, Buck Walter had a great regular season, got bounced in the, in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, uh, Rob Thompson, he's been incredible. Um, and, and I think he's just going to continue to grow a, a, as a great manager in this league, especially as a Phillies manager. I just, I just want to let you know something. I, I learned a quote earlier this week that uh, comparison is, is the thief of joy. So, uh, you know, just leave my boy Buck Showalter alone. Uh, let, let him appreciate having his third, ma- <laughs> third manager of the year for a third separate team. I mean, come on, Nick. Why do why, why, why you have to come at me like that? That, that? that was subtle, but I picked it up. They, they they lost in the wild card round. They choked away in September uh, a division title. Could have had a bye in the first round. Wouldn't have had to play in the wild card round. Oh, you just, and you it, just you know, rustled some you know, gears there. You did there, a good job. <laughs> I, I've been arguing Listen, for my life. That's how choke every single year. They do, but th- this, this year wasn't as much of a choke as that the Atlanta Braves were the hottest <laughs> team in baseball after January 1st. Oh no! It was a it, no! It was a choke. It was a complete choke by the Mets. The Mets should have won this division easily. They gave it to the Braves, and they still couldn't get out of the wild card round against the Padres. It was unbelievable. Now the, the Phillies beat the Braves too, but um, you know I, the Phillies had a lot of trouble with the Mets this year. I'm not saying the Phillies didn't have trouble with the Mets uh, because I would have been very nervous if the Phillies took on the Mets in in the playoffs. But the way things shook out, I mean, there's no reason that. Uh, New York shouldn't have gotten past the wild card. I just thought it was a, a gigantic choke uh, by the Mets and Buck Showalter. All right, well, all I'm going to say is if you're arguing for Rob Thompson as manager of the year, which I, I think he should have definitely been second, but if you look at records from June 1st and on, the Mets had a game better record than the Phils, and the Atlanta Braves went 78-34 and 34 down that stretch. So I, I just I get the point about the Mets choking every year because they do. <laughs> I, I, I will absolutely concede on the fact that the Mets choked in the wild card to the Padres. 
Not starting to Grom in day one, or game one, was an absolute mistake. But to say that they choked away the division lead at the end of the season, it's a bit of an over-exaggeration. I still think they should have found a way to win a division. There was no, they led mostly the entire year. No, no reason not to get in. Rob Thompson comes in with a team under 500. Everyone's down on him. Uh, Ken Rosenthal wrote a piece uh, about uh, how Joe Girardi's not hit firing him, not going to fix anything. Well, it fixed everything. Uh, the Phillies got to a World Series. And, you know, I, I, I thought he should have probably gotten a little higher. What was he? He didn't even get a fourth, did he? Was it fifth, fourth or fifth or something like that? The fact like that, that he wasn't a finalist so, is just absurd. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, um, But yeah, I, 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 I think the Phillies are in good hands with Thompson uh, going forward. To that point as well, I just want to mention that, like, you know, it would, would have been nice to see Rob Thompson win it, but I would have been extremely grateful with a third place finish. But they didn't even put him on Thompson. the finalist board. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, they get screwed all the time. So, you know, it, it, Philadelphia gets screwed a lot with, with that type of stuff. That Joel Embiid probably should have been the MVP last year. That's neither here nor there, but uh, don't have. You're not making a friend over here in Connor Brown. Just, right just now. remind me uh, not, never to have Nick back on. Just, just, just remind me of that. <laughs> uh, he's the first band from the podcast. You knew what you were getting. I, I, I know. You knew Nick, what you were getting. I, this is my first and last appearance. That's <laughs> my first and last appearance. All right, Dick. You know I love you, man. But um, you know, let, let, let's talk about something <laughs> instead of you know uh, hating on each other. Let, let's talk about something that we're grateful for. Tomorrow's Turkey Day. It's it's a big day to watch some football. Have some great food. Tell tell me what your plate's looking like tomorrow. You know, are are you a big mac and cheese guy? Stuffing, cranberry sauce. What does the typical Mister Earnshaw plate look like on Thanksgiving? And we will judge you on this. Just keep in mind. Oh, you can. Oh, everyone judges me for my food taste. I, I'm a, I'm a little weird when I when I come to food. I, I'm pretty plain. I don't go gravy on the turkey. I, oh. I, I'll just put that out there. I don't. I'm I'm a dry turkey eater. That that's just how I am. And I will continue to be that way until the day I die. I don't put the gravy on the turkey, but I will go turkey. I do enjoy some turkey. I go with the mac and cheese. We got the mashed potatoes on there. I'm a gigantic stuffing guy. Love stuffing. That's that's gonna be like probably half my plate. Uh, and then I'll go back in uh, for the other stuff. But yeah, I, I'm going turkey stuffing, mashed potatoes. I'll uh, we'll go mac and cheese. Um, I'm trying to think anything else. Oh, uh, we talked about this actually the other night. Um, kind of an obscure dish that we have. It's kind of like a an appetizer before we go into the main meal. We have uh, with my family. We go with the the bacon cheese fries uh, before the turkey. We have we have that. So it's a little obscure, but mm. it's fantastic. We have that a little bit of an appetizer, and yeah, I, I'm not. I don't get too crazy. The only thing that probably people uh, will judge me on is uh, the dry turkey. I'm pretty dry when it comes to things like that. I definitely judged you when you said dry turkey, and I'm thinking to myself, why wouldn't you just go with ham? It's a little bit moister, has some better flavor to it in comparison to dry turkey. But then you followed it up with mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, and stuffing. And if you have that flavor in there, you can kind of, you can accept some dry turkey. But you, one you thing. You saved yourself. You did. You, you saved yourself big time. Yeah. I'm the kid growing up that would separate all their food too. Like, I don't want anything touching. You can't, can't have things touching on the plate. I don't want this mixing and matching. Right, you've lost me. And I want, the, I want everything separate. Everything's got to be, everything's got to be separate. No mixing and mashing. It's, it's a joke. I, I can't believe people even think of doing that. All right. Before we, f- um, Close out with your Thanksgiving plate for tomorrow, uh, November 24th. I do want to ask you this one thing. It's been kind of controversial in the sports department group chat. What are your thoughts on cranberry sauce? Um, I'm not, I don't really eat it. I, I don't eat it. I, I wouldn't say I love it or hate it. I just, I've, I've never been uh, kind of a guy who's going to go after that. I, my plate's already too full. I'm going second, thirds on the mashed potatoes, the stuffing. I don't need the cranberry sauce. I got dessert after. I'm good with that. No, no yeah. need for the cranberry sauce. No I, don't, need I don't know where it fits in my thanksgiving regimen it just doesn't i'd rather throw a few biscuits on top instead you know well especially for you too since you don't like to you know mix and match to me that's my personal favorite thing about thanksgiving is just having like this like moosh of food you know and just you know it's like a mystery bite every time um i I did have another controversial thanksgiving question for you uh, this kind of started the whole uh, Thanksgiving chat. So the Giants posted on social media yesterday afternoon asking, uh, you know, the four essentials for, for Thanksgiving. And it was mac and cheese, turkey, stuffing, and mashed potatoes. And you had to leave one out. Out of those four, which one are you leaving out? I did see this. What was it? This was mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, turkey. And what was the, what was the other one? Stuffing. 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 Oh, my God. This is this is brutal. Uh, I can't leave out mashed potatoes and stuffing. They, they have to. 
They have to stay on there. Ugh. I might just—I might kick the turkey aside. It's Ooh. not my favorite. I mean, it's not my favorite one out of all of them. I like it, but like, I'd rather have the stuffing, the mashed potatoes, all that good stuff over the turkey. So I—I'm the very. This is like very difficult for me, but I gotta kick the turkey aside if I had to over the mac. Like, it, it, I have to. See, to me, it, w- it was pretty easy because I, I think the Holy Trinity of Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving, we're not talking about all year round. The Holy Trinity has to be turkey, stuffing, and mashed potatoes. Like, I- I've had Thanksgiving meals without mac and cheese, and it's been enjoyable. Not True. saying that mac I and cheese to. isn't the best out of that food group because it probably is. And I- I'm not eating turkey most days of the year unless it's like a, a deli slice or something. Stuffing, right. stuffing is something we should have way more. That- that's my personal opinion. Mashed potatoes, you can have all year round. But to me, that's the holy trinity. Then with the holy water of of, of the gravy on top, so that that's what kind of started the uh, the controversy a little bit. Of me leaving out mac and cheese, but I'm glad we were able to have a civil conversation about this. Connor, your plate just is my nightmare. That's my absolute nightmare. Your plate, it's I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine it with all everything. The gravy, oh, it's no, everything's got to be separate. All separate now, can't do it. Gravy over everything, even if there's like green beans in there. Oh, I'm oh over yeah. That. I have to side with Connor here. I mean, that's peak flavor right there. You're you're that's introducing it. yourself and welcoming yourself to Flavortown. It's an absolute nightmare of a dish right there, mixing and matching with the gravy on top. I need everything separate. I want to get every 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 taste bud. I want it to be different. Every every bite I get, I want it to taste to be different. I want the stuffing. I want the mashed potatoes. I don't need it all mixed together. Just, Fair enough. Not Everyone has their thing. I don't. I don't blame you, but. With that being said, as we wrap up our Thanksgiving talk here on this Wednesday, November 23rd edition of Big Apple on Broad, our guest, Nick Earnshaw, we're very thankful for our family, friends, and food, but we're thankful for you coming on our podcast today. Happy Thanksgiving, and I hope you have a nice time with your family. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Uh, The podcast is great. Can't wait to continue listening going forward, man. Appreciate you guys having me. Thanks, Nick. You've been listening to Big Apple on Broad with your hosts, Danny Ryan and Connor Brown. Make sure to tune in weekly for new episodes. You can find Big Apple on Broad and every Rowan Radio sports podcast by searching Rowan Radio On Demand Sports wherever you find your favorite podcasts.